Hello and welcome to the week 16 edition of Spitball. Your weekly NFL roundup. I'm your host, Adri Bullhawk Mallows, and with me by phone is Marcus Henson. For those who have listened to earlier shows, he used to own fantasy football but has subsequently finished fourth this year, so I feel like I can't give him that nickname anymore. How do you feel, buddy? How's it going? Absolutely. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everyone. You caught us just between uh, Christmas and New Year, so I hope you've all had a lovely time with your families and looking forward, like me, to getting very, very drunk on New Year's Eve. So, let's crack on with week 16. I feel we've got, as always, quite a lot to cover in a a short space of time. I'd like to start my podcast the same as I started the blog this week, and that is by talking about Megatron. Calvin Johnson breaking Jerry Rice's single-season receiving yardage record this week he needed 182 yards going into the game against Atlanta Falcons on Saturday night and for me I thought that was probably a little bit too much you know on a good game you'd normally have about 120 140 yards something like that so I figure he'll break it by the end of the season but in true Megatron fashion he went and got 225 yards and smashed Jerry Rice's record what did you think of that buddy? Absolutely, and he seems to do it time and time again, and this is why I'm trying to push our little argument we've got going on with the poll on the next to the podcast, who is the best receiver of all time. Strongly recommend everyone keeps checking out those highlights, especially Calvin Johnson, a.k.a. Megatron. I think to maybe convince Marcus that he is the best receiver, he needs at least one Super Bowl, would you think there, my friend? I think he needs at least one Super Bowl, and uh, that's the state that you can't make it because, of course... I guess it's unfair to judge him now because really the truth, the nominator that it's going to be, I mean, like, Jerry Rice's career is over. We can look back at it as a whole. Uh, Megatron's still got his, um, a bit to go. So I think we've got to judge them both on when they have both finished and you can stack both decks evenly opposite each other and uh, that's when I think we'll have to actually say, yes, who is the best. Okay, well, set a date in your diary for about six to ten years' time, depending on how long Calvin Johnson plays for because this will be the only end, the end of his sixth season so we could potentially have at least six or ten more years to wait before we can have this discussion so book that date in your diary buddy every single season what's going through them all honestly I'll still be here Good. well I hope I still am as well and uh, moving swiftly on Adrian Peterson another guy who's closing in on uh, Eric Dickerson's record he now only needs 205 yards to break the record I say only but 205 yards, he needs to get them against Green Bay. Can he do it? I don't know. Really, I expected him to. I mean, he didn't break 100 yards last week. No, but he was up against a very, very stern Texans defence, which we know all about with J.J. Watt and Smith, and yeah. I believe their other linebacker, Merciless. Yes, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, they were the only ones who really kind of turned up for the Houston this past week. Uh, the offence, obviously decide to go on their holidays a week early it's kind of the we've got the first seed we can just relax guys where it was a bit of a poor showing defence are much more stronger look like containing and that major impeachment but there's still times where you saw even then break into a tackle to make a 20 yard run yes it wasn't the an 80 
yard run like it was against I it was Rams I forget who they played it was Rams yeah but it still it shows his conviction and I think I'm going to think it's going to be very difficult against that Green Bay defence because the Green Bay defence has definitely stepped up I mean that was the only problem is we had last year was Green Bay defence again it was kind of like the, the picture we held with New England Patriots like would the defence be able to step up to the same quality as the offence yeah. knowing that the offensive is such high quality I feel that but again like actually like the Patriots this year they've made great steps towards actually improving themselves yeah and actually just we'll come back to it later on but Houston haven't actually tied up the number one seed because they've got an equal record with Denver and New England are only a game behind so yeah. I would need to check how the ins and outs of it work out but my understanding is if say for example Houston lost and the other two won Houston would be number three Absolutely, and I'll come back to that game later on. You'll find out how when we get to that point. Something just quickly before we move on to our impact players. Um, I saw something interesting on NFL.com earlier, and it was the players that have been drafted after the Oakland Raiders have made their pick in the first round. Did you see this article earlier, mate? I did. Yeah, you have, after the Oakland Raiders' first round draft picks between 2004 and 2007, the players that then got drafted, Aaron Rodgers to Green Bay, Larry Fitzgerald to the Cardinals, Calvin Johnson to Detroit, and Dante Whitner to Buffalo. Now, you have to ask yourself, what in the blue hell were the Raiders doing, letting any of those slip through their grasp? I mean, it's, it's still different, because back then, Al was running the show. Of course. True, but then when you have the motto, just win, and you look at the names that we've... I know hindsight's a beautiful thing, but when you look at the names we've just rolled off, I mean, you would have gone a long way with, with say, Fitzgerald and Johnson as a receiving tandem with Rodgers as their quarterback. Oh, absolutely. I find a lot of the persona that went around, I mean, like Jamarcus Russell pick, a lot of the first-round picks have been Londo McClain. There's a lot of people who are questionable issues. Raiders seem to like to have this boiling pot which they hold on to which is the we're the bad boys of football. It's, it's like once they have made um, mistakes they you know Raiders aren't inclined to look over someone because of off the food issues which means some people who actually want to make a change it's a perfect place to set up, up shop because you could also um, you know find a second chance there. Other people should never be given a first chance in the first place. Yeah, Jamarcus Russell, I think, is a fine example of that. Yes. I mean, he come in, demanded big money straight away, didn't he? And what have the Raiders seen of, of that production-wise? He's seen as a loss in bank account, really. Yeah, I mean, sure, the guy can throw it 80 yards, but if you can't do anything else, it's basically a circus act. Yep. I mean, it's the same with this, uh, Terrell Pryor, which they, uh, they drafted out of Ohio, which definitely built issue, completely undisciplined. They're the only ethos turning him around their way. Seen bits of him coming out this season as the sort of number two behind Carson Palmer, whether he's injured or whether they want to run some variation while Katie type thing. Yeah, they've got, um, I believe he's been working out a lot more in practice this week, so he could potentially be starting this week. He again is a bit of a one trick pony, he came out of that optionated, very collegiate system. Now, some people have come out of that and done really well. RG3 
I yeah. They're well round. They seem to be well rounded individuals, though, don't they? That's the thing with them. There's a big difference, kind of, between their character off the field. Do you know what ties in uh, with Cam Newton's great performances the last five weeks? When we sat at my dad's and did a podcast, and I said, "Cam Newton is so last year." That was the last bad game he had. Are you saying he heard? I'm thinking he probably did hear and he has a point to prove. Well, there you go. In which case, I expect a, uh, a lovely bunch of goodie bags and signed autograph stuff. Make it out to eBay, of course. Um, my real name's eBay. I just use Marcus as my persona, Cam. Um, yeah, make it all out to eBay. Just loads of goodies, checks, never mind. Um, and I'll take a Lamborghini Gallardo. To my name, because I need a car, and you've got the money. Brilliant. Cheers. Everybody wins. Exactly. So let's move on to our uh, impact. Players. Definitely. And as usual, we'll start with your second place, and I'll let you pick which side of the ball you'd like to start with. We know what we just start speaking about Cam Newton. I'm just stick with the offense. Okay. So my Yeah, playing on a sprained knee as well. He did look quite uncomfortable when he was playing. Exactly. I mean, the reason why, I mean, he only got 198 yards, two touchdowns, all statisticians might go, that's not really great. But you think about the contention behind it. This guy wants his team to win, and he's putting his, his body through points and rigors to try and fight his way to get it. I mean, they're now sitting top of that NFC East, thanks to a, uh, a Giants and a Dallas loss. They've yep. got that one game in hand. And you know what? I, I do find that when they are, okay, not taking away from Kirk Cousins, but he did a great job in that one game where he had to step in. Yeah. Again, also get the win, so they're being helped. But at the same time, I find RG3, there's a, a characterization, there's a dogged determination from that team when he's on the pitch. Absolutely. He does seem to inspire them because you know he's going to give everything to try and win the game. Absolutely. And it, it, was an, it looked horrific. Okay, lucky it was just, you know, as, as they said, mild, like, sprainy tearing whether they, they managed to diagnose it completely I mean they could dial it down so I mean had the guy's leg fallen off they would have said you know it's, 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 it's just a flesh wound yeah of course yeah the old Monty Python there <laughs> absolutely honestly don't know the, the damage I'm not sure that is ever going to actually come out the off season and then we actually find out whether he's going to then suddenly be a story he's undergoing surgery or something silly like that yeah, let, let's hope that's not the case. And then um, let's move then on to my offensive impact. This week I've gone for someone who had yet another great week. The last probably four or five weeks he's really been impressing me. And he plays for a team who I really don't like because of their results against the Bills in the early 90s. This week my offensive impact is Des. Bryant, wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys because he had two touchdowns, 224 yards and you can see the difference he's making in that game. I know it was your last week that they would beat New Orleans by three points and with Bryant on the field you can see why you thought that was going to be a close game because when it looks like the game's getting away from them, who steps up with the receptions and just blows away the defence? Des Bryant's there when he needs them. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it was a, it was a shree, shree, the other way. And uh, who said New Orleans was going to win? 
Sorry, I, I can't. I can't hear you. Who said New Orleans was going to win? I can't remember. It's so long ago now. Oh really? Okay. Well. Oh, selective memory, I reckon. Um, so, who would be your offensive impact player? Right, I'm going to give it this week again. I'm not looking at stats. This is because, again, we're talking about someone who's created an impact on the team, someone for the last couple of weeks who really has shown. And I'm actually going to give this to Russell Wilson. Wow. He, yeah, he's had it a couple of times now. Absolutely. There's something about this kid where he, he sort of come out of... Uh, you know, a small, small state college. I mean, there was, wasn't a whole hullabaloo behind him. He, he came in third string on the charts, and he won himself first string. Everyone was like, who is this kid you're going to give it to this rookie? Surely he's going to be sitting warm in the bed for a couple of years before you do this sort of thing. Everyone's going, Carol, you're crazy. But actually, look what he did. 171 yards. <laughs> you know, not great. Four touchdowns. He squeezed four, four touchdowns out of that. You're putting points on the board. I think... I mean, he was... He also put 29 yards on the ground, and a lot of that was evasion of um, defensive pressure. So therefore, he's getting out of the defensive throwing everything they got him. The guy can actually use his legs to then elude it and actually make a positive yardage. Yeah, and let's not forget as well, when we're talking about impact, Seattle now are a 10-5 and team. And again, if they win this week and San Francisco lose, then the division is theirs. Exactly, and Seattle lost the first game against early in the year but now we're going to Questerfield I feel that he's going to be great in them because in that environment he's really succeeded I mean he controls the games like I said they're in almost not a guarantee but you'd like to think they, they've pretty much got a, a playoff place underneath whether or not they come out with divisional leaders as well who knows uh, they are guaranteed playoffs because they're fifth now I think the only the only place again we'll come back to this in a bit more depth later but the only position left is Number six, because with that right. win this week, Seattle are in. There you go. There you go. So no, I, have to, I have to say for that it was just a brilliant performance. Like I said, it made the game. Like I said, the stats weren't there, but the guy controls the game. He had the clock management. He just kept perusing it over, handing it off to Marshall Lynch when they needed it. And apart from that, when he when he was asked to actually create, um, spread out the ball to all these different receivers, the defense doesn't know who he's coming to. They're just going to rush him. He's going to break the pressure and then. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at the start of the season, I remember writing the NFC off, uh, sorry, the NFC West off, and saying how it was going to be such a one-horse race. And Seattle and Russell Wilson have just completely proved me wrong. I have to take my hat off and say, you know, I was wrong on that one. They've just been phenomenal. Absolutely, I, I, I really do like what they're doing. Still not sure if I, I confidently put them as a sort of dark horse yet, just because we've seen them also flop. Like I said, they've lost to St. Louis and. Uh, even as a Rams fan, I, I just feel that if you're going to go win the Super Bowl this year, you can't be losing to teams like us. Yeah, but they absolutely destroyed the Bills, who uh, are, I don't know if you've checked, few, but they're the best team in football. This year. Arizona, Buffalo, there's a few. There's a few. You're not alone in that case. And, and did they not destroy the 49ers this week? Yeah, it was pretty much a good thumping. Yeah, 42-13 they beat the Niners this week, so... I don't know, so with the, you know, throw the Bills in that mix as well, then they've beaten a lot of great teams this year. <laughs> he says very, very tongue-in-cheek. Packers, I know, I know it's controversial, but they beat Packers. Exactly, they beat Packers, and they beat New England as well, didn't they? Yeah. So, we'll have to wait and see uh, on the Dark Horse front. I think maybe I might have to try and find out from you what their odds are on winning the Super Bowl and uh, 
see if I can curse them and place a bet on them. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think depending on how they display St. Louis this week, and unfortunately, yes, when we get to my team, but I think depending on how they display St. Louis Field, say whether or not, I mean, if they come out as divisional champs, we've got to put them into that mix. Yeah, that's it. Well, this is the thing. You see, it's divisional champs, depending on uh, yeah how things go. Where does that move them? That would move them up to uh, third seeding. So they would have home field for the first game. And then, obviously, depending on, then they would then go to, uh, I believe they would, uh, they would then potentially go to Green Bay, wouldn't they? Because if Seattle were third and another team below them gets through, then the worst ranked team goes to the top ranked team, don't they? So uh, yeah, absolutely. But you have to sit there and you don't have to favour their chances in that first wild card round. Thinking on a team like probably the best one ever going to even be the Bears or, or maybe I guess. Washington. Yeah, it's going to be an NFC East, isn't it? Yeah, potentially. It's um, it's either going to be NFC East or a division battle, potentially, depending on where they end up. Looking good, Good. Absolutely. So let's move now on to our defensive impact, impact. players. And I'll let you kick off with your second place. Well, actually, my Okay. With the first half selection for second place, it's going to go to the entire Broncos defense for their seven sacks this week. I remember wow. we went back a couple of weeks ago and we mentioned that when uh, Cleveland came in and played Pittsburgh, back when um, Charlie Batch was brought back and while Ben Roethlisberger was out, and they missed the eight sack on. Sorry, that is an impact on the game that is disrupting the quarterback too much. Yes, Cleveland had eight turnovers in that game as well, didn't they? Yeah. You know, when you're creating the kicker, the only point scorer, and the, uh, well, not the only point scorer, but the main point scorer and the uh, the punter, you, you're sort of like, I mean, fair play to the punter, though. There's a beautiful, I mean, he's, he's averaging near enough, like, 52 yards. That's impressive. But still, your punter shouldn't have to get out that much there. A 52-yard punt average looks impressive. More likely a 52-yard from one punt average. And as well as that defence is playing, you can't help but think it's, it's a knock-on effect of the Peyton, of Peyton Manning because with the way he's got that offence clicking and the way they're putting up points, it's the same with the Colts, isn't it? The Colts, generally speaking, never had an amazing defence, but they always managed to play well and keep teams to low points because Manning would race out to an early lead, put the pressure on, force the other teams to pass, and when you know what the other team's going to do, you've almost got free reign for the likes of Von Miller to just blitz the quarterback at will. Well, yeah, Yeah. 
Um, at the same time, I, I feel he's never quite been the same chaser that his brother's been. So much more comfortable when he's allowed to get 14 points ahead and control the rest of the game. Absolutely. He's got, he's got the tools to do it as well. Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, uh, Drez and Tammy combo at tight end. And his good old mate Brandon Stokely as well. Who? Uh, uh, no, Sean Moreno in the backfield. I should, I should mention him. Yeah, that's it. Now um, he's in because Willis McGahee's obviously out for the season and has been out for a few weeks. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's like you said, these, these second backs, the fact that you need to have a decent second back in this league uh, nowadays because of the way you can't just have that one solo back. Um, and I'm really impressed with how he steps into the mark. Yeah, definitely. Now this week for my defensive impact player, I've gone for someone who not only had a good week this week. But it's a bit more, as the season's coming to an end, it's a little bit cheeky. He's been playing well all year, having a great impact on the team's defence. Pretty easy when you're playing alongside the calibre of London Fletcher. But this week, I'm giving my defensive impact player to Ryan Kerrigan of the Washington Redskins. Now, this week again, see, you might not think much to his numbers, but it's everything he gives to that team. He had five tackles, two of which were sacks, had a forced fumble... Whenever you're seeing someone pressure the quarterback, generally speaking, it's Kerrigan that's either getting close to him, tipping the ball, or even bringing him down for the sack. It's like London Fletcher kind of drops back and kind of gives them something to think about, and then Kerrigan can just come off the edge and do his thing. London Fletcher. Fletcher yeah absolutely I think in general that a lot of the Washington defence are playing really well but I just think Kerrigan does seem to be the name for me that comes up a lot when you're talking about plays happening for them yeah I mean it seems to be we had they had a lot of trouble early on in the year the past defence a lot of yardage going on kind of like Tampa yeah great to stop the run they couldn't stop the pass definitely so who have you gone yourself mate for the defensive impact yeah, he was very close on my list as well. The good old boy showing the highlights from his glory days. Like you said, he's not, not going to shine out with five tackles, a three sack and a forced fumble. But at the same time, I found that, you know, that Chicago defence has been really good all year. And I have pointed out a few more, I guess, the glory hogs where we had um, Harris a couple of times, a lot more. I don't think I've mentioned Peppers in, in the same sort of vein, even though that sort of, I mean, yes, the big money trade was there to, to try and lure in all this sack stats and the pressure on the quarterback. It, it was a great game by the actual the defense, considering, I mean, they had to win that game. I mean, you couldn't afford to lose it. One, because you'd lose the playoff contentions, but two, it's just, there was a less, they were a lesser team they were playing up against, and they needed really to win that. And the defense really made sure that they had that really helped the likes of Cutler and uh, Martin to do their thing it was brilliant to watch those two I just watched them all day and then one like Stafford and Mega uh, try not to watch those two throw to each other all day yeah and you've just reminded me actually is I need to check out my NFL UK fantasy team from last week because I picked the Bears defence because on that particular fantasy football they are the highest scoring defence this year I'm and sure they are yeah it's got a lot to do with uh, the I likes of Peppers and Tillman obviously yeah it has been a great 
great year for the defence of Chicago. And if like, any Chicago fans out there, you'd be happy to see back to that, that, that core, solid defence, which kind of like a lot of teams get known for their big power offences. Others get known for their hard, crunch, tackle defence. I think Chicago, for a long, long time, you fought defence first and second. Yeah, and I think this is a good opportunity for us to now move on to the NFC playoff picture. Let's just run through the the order of them really quickly. Um, number one, Atlanta Falcons, thirteen and two. They're home and dry. They've won their division. They've secured home field advantage. Green Bay have also won their division. They're in second place at the moment. See, second place could go either way because with a Green Bay loss and a San Francisco win. I think that would potentially elevate San Francisco above Green Bay, or as we yeah, said, Seattle. That tie, isn't it? That tie would give them, because the tie just gives them a slightly sort of half point edge. Yeah, because it would leave Green Bay on 11-5, and five, and San Francisco would be on 11-4-1, so they would have lost less games, so potentially it would elevate them more. So we've got San Francisco in third place with a 10-4-1 record. Mm-hmm. Washington in fourth place with their 9-6 and six record. Uh, Seattle in fifth place with their ten and five record, and at the moment sneaking into the playoffs is Minnesota in sixth place at nine and six. Now I don't think we've done this before, but just to clarify for those who may not be too familiar with the ranking system and why teams with a better record are ranked lower down, the order of the playoffs, the rankings one to four, is always done on the division winners. So you have your NFC North, NFC East, NFC West and NFC South. All of those winners are 1-4 to and whoever out of those four has the best record is ranked number one and so on and so forth. And the best two teams in the the conference have home field advantage throughout the playoffs unless of course they play each other then the number one seed will have that home field advantage. So below Minnesota... We have Chicago in seventh at nine and six. We have Dallas in eighth at eight and seven, and the New York Giants also on eight and seven. And going into the final week of the season, there's so much to play for for all those teams because Dallas, New York, and Washington could all still win the NFC East. Washington obviously being in pole position, and then Minnesota need to knock off Green Bay to guarantee a place in the playoffs. But if they lose, Chicago then could then go into the playoffs in sixth if they win. But if Minnesota and Chicago lose, then Dallas and New York or Washington, depending on who doesn't win the NFC East, then sneaks into sixth place. It's a mess. <laughs> it's definitely got uh, lots of different variations. I mean, some years there is like this, where it's so much probability. Others are quite set in stone. I mean, I don't like think that the top three are quite set in stone. Yeah, you think it's going to be Atlanta, Green Bay, and San Fran? I'd have to favour Green Bay beat Minnesota, San Francisco over Arizona. Yeah, I'm sorry, I've got to go for that win. Yeah, and um, yeah, Atlanta, Tampa Bay. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. Maybe they do rest of their players, but it's really you know stats now. Yeah, and how about the uh, the sixty four million dollar question? Who's going to win the NFC East? Giants to win, so I'd have to go for 
Yeah, that'd be a great achievement for him as well if he could. That's it, a difficult division. That's it. A difficult division. Yeah, and I think so. Then we'd have Seattle. Obviously, they look as though yeah. they're pretty much in fifth place, barring sort and of I miracles. Have, I have to give Chicago number six because Detroit. Yeah. yeah you see Chicago beating Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, so therefore I say Chicago sneaking with the number six. So Chicago, yeah, ten and six, and then Minnesota slipped to nine and seven. Yeah, well, I mean, they don't deserve it after the year that um, the defense and Adrian Peterson's had, but uh, they've been let down by um, Ponder's arm. Yeah, that and they, obviously they had the injury to Harvin, which didn't help because he is one of their big playmakers of the half. year. Playmaking a half. Just with everything he gives, both on offense and special teams, potentially even more for special teams rather than as a receiver. Yes, because if you go on the attacking side of special teams, they've got a rookie kicker who yeah absolutely and then let's have a quick look at the AFC before I've just got a couple of bits to tidy up and have a quick little whinge about I'll just give you a pre-warning now um, <laughs> the AFC playoff picture is all set as far as teams are concerned but again the position battle is what's really interesting into this week so at number one we have Houston at 12-3 and three. At number two, we have Denver again at twelve and three. We have New England at three on eleven and four. We have Baltimore at four on ten and five, and Indianapolis are fifth in with ten and five. And Cincinnati have sealed the last place with their win over Pittsburgh and go nine and six on the season at the moment. So between one and three, we briefly discussed it earlier, but. Between one and three could go any way, really. I mean, who do you see coming out on top out of those three? I must admit, I think Houston... Uh, I mean, if you're not going to dispatch Minnesota, Indianapolis are going to come out you all guns blazing. I mean, that's going to be such a tough game. It's um, at Indianapolis as well. Yeah, I, I look to see them dropping it there. Really, I can see them dropping the ball. I mean, Chris Luck is going to get a lot of in his face, but if they can find the cracks in the secondary early on... Uh, look for Reggie Wayne. Uh, Don Adrian Avery was a bit nicked up last uh, week, but I see what that uh, Brazil kid. Is this a receiver? Hilton. Yeah. A couple of those those receivers have got some real skills, so I tell you what, if luck can find them early on. I don't think it'll be a big game for Ballard, so if any of you are playing like the uh, the fancy challenge to play uh, sort of towards in that extension fancy season, don't be Ballard in, because he won't run the ball, it'll be through the air. You have to say as well, if Adrian Peterson can only get, what, 86 yards against that Texans defence, you don't really fancy Ballard's chances. No, no, no. Switching to the next team down the list, Denver against Kansas City, in mile high. That's done. Over. Right, thank you. I'll take the winning go now. And then, you know, Miami were quite impressive throughout the season. There was this, you know, random segment of, of good things to talk about there. I mean, they kept themselves running. I mean... To be honest, I've not actually paid too much attention to their record. Now, um, I think they could be because I know they were they were on the cusp. I think they could potentially end up with a 500 season, as you say. And I have to say that uh, Miami fans and coaches and players, I think that's, that's, that's quite a win to go 500 um, on the season. And uh, kudos because it's a tough again that AFC um, the East in both 
NFC and AFC, they are nasty, tough, gritty, uh, gritty divisions, and they take everything out of those players. Everything. Yeah. I think, to be honest, with the Buffalo players, I have to say that's the one almost criticism I would have of them is that I don't think they play hard enough in the division games. Whether it's because of tactics laid down from the coaches above, I don't know. But when you look at, say, some of the NFC East rivalries or some of the NFC South, when you see Atlanta go up against New Orleans, some real rivalry games, I don't think you see to get seem to get that out of the Buffalo players. No, I don't know about that. Uh, that's probably another one for another day. Yeah, probably is another one for another day. So we've got a bit more to cover off. So that wraps up sort of the, the playoff situation, I think. And we'll just move quickly on now to a couple of last things before we get to our um, firstly I just want to cover off the New York Jets and Tim Tebow now McElroy's out with a concussion this week so they're now again starting Sanchez as opposed to even giving Tebow a chance what was the point of them even signing him in the first place I mean, you, whether it was just a publicity stunt, I don't know. Maybe to put more bums on seats, but you're in New York, you know. I mean, Jets have a massive following anyway, so for it to have been yeah, a I mean, publicity stunt seems. Have a Twenty-year waiting list to get a season ticket. I don't understand the idea of not getting the right guy for the job or circus acts or stuff like that. I don't get it. It does raise another question as well, though, with the whole coaching carousel that will go round. And again, we'll talk more about this maybe towards the end of the season after the playoffs, but. Would you say that Rex Ryan's job is in um, uh, in jeopardy? I think the seat is already hot. Really? Yeah, I'd have to say that there is. One of the things I, I know, just to let you guys know, listening, something me and Andrew like to have to do each week is when we're checking out the upcoming schedules, we like to use a certain a website, the ESPN website. I don't know if we can reference that, but not Mark, you'll have to edit that out. Uh, yeah, no, we can do that, mate. It is www.espn.go.com. Oh, good. I didn't know whether or not we were infringing or anything. That's fine. But one thing me and Andrew love to do, we love to see how many seats are left unsold. Yes. And for the last three weeks, last three home games, Jets home games, there's been over, it was this good 5,000 seats. And you're sitting there going, in the Meadowlands, there should not be 5,000 seats left unsold. No, absolutely not. Yeah, no. It, I, think, it's... I think it peaked about, what did we see, about 7,000 last game, and that was the peak this, this year. I believe so, yeah. It's been quite high and really surprising. And unfortunately, um, in this day and age, in business, stakeholders run the run the show, it's not actually coaches. Therefore, you ain't putting the on seats, you ain't keeping the fans interested, the fans happy. That means stakeholders won't be happy with the turnover, which means you ain't sticking around for too long. So potentially, we could see Rex Ryan out the door this summer. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I don't, I, 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 to be honest, I think the guy will find another job easy within the football industry whether or not it's at NFL level or maybe drop down to the college level um, I'm pretty sure there's a few very big high level college positions will be opened up this year so whether or not he wants to take a step down just uh, drop down a peg call the Jets get another you know regain that place of success and then come back better stronger faster fitter sort of thing who knows yeah definitely and we'll talk more about college I think at next week's show because That'll be a nice little build-up because we've got the big bowl championship game between Notre Dame and Alabama on the 7th of January. 
So I think we'll have to touch on that next week to go through a little bit about some of the other bowl games that are going on and, as I say, the the big one, which I'm hoping Notre Dame win. Um, just finally then, before we do our swings, wanted to have a quick mention of the Pro Bowl because the Pro Bowl rosters have been announced today. And if you've seen them, I'm sure you've noticed that there is a certain running back who plays in blue and white and red that is missing from the AFC roster. And that there is no CJ Spiller in the roster. We have Arian Foster, Jamal Childs, and I, I can't, I can't believe it. I honestly can't. No CJ Spiller. You're looking at a guy. I mean, sure, you look at the stats, right? Jamal Childs has had 1,456 yards, five touchdowns, but he's carried the ball 271 times. Now you compare that to CJ Spiller, who's only had 183 carries. In his 183 carries, he's had uh, 1,185 yards, six touchdowns. If you look on averages alone, Spiller's average is 6.4 yards a carry, and he's maintained that for pretty much most of the season, and Charles is at 5.3. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are, Bills fans, you ain't voting enough. Yeah, clearly. Whoops, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's clearly, that's a... Because the Pro Bowl system does hand it back to the fans. I mean, uh, greatly that there are... I mean, people like Arian Foster, uh, who knows, his, his seat might be available um, come Pro Bowl time, uh, that I doubt it, but um, people like Jamal Charles, they get a lot more highlight on them because, let's face it, they're the only thing that's shining on that team at the moment. That's the thing, though, you see, you look at him, he is playing for, um, I can't use the actual expression I've got in my head at the moment because it's, uh, it's definitely R-rated, but he doesn't play for a great team, he's always going to get a lot of carries. That's it, yeah, that's what I'm doing, so don't worry. But Spiller's had to share the load with Jackson, and he's had to work with sharing the load, even though he's been outperforming Jackson this year. And to outperform a running back like Jackson, like Bill's, uh, Bill's ties aside, I think a lot of people would agree that Jackson and Spiller, or and in particular Jackson, is one of the best running backs in the league. I think the combo, it's got to be one of the best combos, it's got to be in the top three best combos yeah I think so and I'm glad that you know obviously you would back me up with that that he's got some great competition there and yet somehow um, as you say didn't find it into the Pro Bowl and um, some other things that surprised me actually about people that aren't going to the Pro Bowl on the NFC side there's no Green Bay cornerbacks in that roster and that does surprise me yeah the way Shields um, Sam Shields is playing for one of them there's uh, Williams uh, there's some really good ones but then again what do you call it who knows Maybe they'll get their bigger prize when they get to go play in the big game. Yeah, that's the, uh, the holiday in Hawaii. That's very true. And I think what we'll do is next week we'll come back to it. Is when we know all of the playoff teams, I'm definitely going to get you to pick a Super Bowl matchup, and then who will then take the the big one down. And we'll have a lot more of an educated guess. Now we're actually going to know the teams in the Super Bowl. I'm still back in New England, but we'll see how it pans out in the NFC. Um, I think that pretty much just leaves us now to, unless there's anyone, have you seen the Pro Bowl roster yourself, sir? I haven't seen the Pro Bowl roster myself, but it's definitely going to have to take in a, a butcher's now myself after listening to that. Yeah, RG3 did make the NFC Pro Bowl roster, by the way, so congratulations to him. Ah, that's it. That's just reminding me. Sorry, there was that was the last thing on the AFC roster. The quarterbacks for the AFC: Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, very much expected. 
Who's the number three quarterback, do you think, for the AFC? Well, I'd hope it'd be Andrew Luck. Unfortunately, no. It's actually Matt Schaub. No, that's rubbish. That's <laughs> terrible. That's such a terrible pick. That is just... Absolutely. I know, I, I totally agree, buddy. So let's move on finally then to our... And I will go first, if I may, sir. I'm going to go with, this week, I have gone with something we mentioned earlier, the Indianapolis Colts to beat Houston Texans at Lucas Oil Stadium. A close one by a field goal, I'm thinking, whether it be a late comeback or they just managed to edge ahead in the end. I'm going to go with a 55-45 Swing. in favour of the Colts. I do, I'd agree with that, actually. I can actually honestly see they're in their own house, and I think Houston, after the against the Vikings, they're going to have their, their coach back. He's going to be on the sidelines after fighting cancer. That's and, another uh, big factor. Oh, it's going to be the atmosphere I would give. You know what, Cam, actually, you know, all those goodies, I'd trade them for a ticket, a plane ticket and a game ticket to Indianapolis. But you can muster that for me, mate. Yeah, we'll... Uh, we promise we start saying nice things about you. Well, Marcus will, because he wants a ticket, but I'm going to slate you so you keep performing. Yeah, you know it. Right. <laughs> and uh, how about your shring of the week, mate? What have you got for us? Well, mate, I'm going to go with Washington to beat Dallas for that, uh, like I said, that divisional title. Absolutely, and are you going to go with a cheeky field goal to win it as well, or are you thinking it's going to be no, more of a blowout than I'm that? Thinking, I'm thinking actually it's, it's in FedEx. I'm actually thinking that, you know, RG3, I think they'll put on a good performance. Uh, I think it's again, the problem is going to be stopping Des Bryant and Miles Austin uh, from upsetting it too much, Tony Romo, but we've seen there's a lot of pressure coming out of that Redskins front seven. Yeah, Thank absolutely. And the words there in the end. And that front seven is really starting to dominate. I mean, it has a lot of trouble. It's got off to a really slow start this year, but uh, finally they've found their rhythm and they've found their pace. And, you know, we've seen a really terrible game from Tony Romo once this year, and I think, you know, if he starts putting some ball into red and yellow team colours rather than throwing them to the guys in the white and blue, yeah, I think this could turn ugly quick. So I'm going to go for a 10-point definition with that copy to us on somewhere more the lines of 60-40 in the favour of the Redskins. So you think Romo's going to choke and pull a Roethlisberger? No, I think he's going. I think he's actually <laughs> going to pull a Romo. We've seen how badly Romo can choke when he puts in high pressure situations. <laughs> True. I was just thinking of uh, the last couple of weeks. He happened to make the shame report this week by Dave Damashek. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but yeah, Ben Roethlisberger was number one on the shame list this week. Well, so. uh, in that case, what you've got, yes, I, I, I honestly feel that Tony Romo. Literally, you've got to be. You bring it a game. It's going to be a very interesting game. You know, Red can start getting after him and a couple of those balls going wobbly into the wrong receiver or the cornerback, shall I say, and we're going to have a whole different ball game. If they can stay ahead, if, if Redskins can stay ahead of the, the point count, so they sort of stay seven points constantly ahead, that's sort of nice three to seven points ahead of the game, I think you'll make Dallas one-dimensional. Absolutely, and I think that wraps it up for us from this week, but before we go... I would just like to say to all of my colleagues at the Garbage Pod, a happy first birthday. It's been a pleasure working with you for the last year. Long may it continue. If you haven't seen it yet, or heard it yet rather, please check out www.thegarbagepod.weebly.com to see the other podcast I have the pleasure of contributing towards every now and then. Marcus and everyone out there, hope you're having a fantastic Christmas period. Happy holidays. Have a great new year.